Welcome to Locked In With, a podcast by thebusinessdesk.com. In the latest episode, we sit down with Debbie Bestwick, CEO of Team 17, a global games company based in the UK. We talk about its IPO two years ago, Debbie's journey in the games industry over the last 30 years, and what the future holds, as well as a little bit of chat about lockdown. Whereabouts in the country are you locked in and... Are you locked in with anyone else? Are you on your own? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not in my own home. So I'm in a cottage in the middle of the countryside in the Midlands at the moment, in between, I think, Nottingham and Newark somewhere. And I'm in lockdown with an 11-year-old, my son. So I've had the lovely joys of adapting not only to working from home, but actually be doing, being the primary person responsible for homeschooling, which, let's be honest, I'm definitely not a teacher. You know, <laughs> we've been having a lot of fun. Yeah, I can, I can appreciate that. Thankfully, mine are a little bit younger, so I'm not having to worry about the, uh, the, the teaching side of it, but it is a good gives a whole different dynamic to the work-life balance. I guess, obviously, Team 17 is a global organization. So how has sort of the, the situation and the pandemic impacted on the, on the business? And how have you adapted to, to lockdown and everything else with it? Absolutely, globally. We have um, three offices throughout the UK in Manchester, Wakefield and Nottingham. But it's really important to understand that a lot of our gaming partners are all over the world. We have teams in China, we have teams in Australia, teams all over Europe, Scandinavia, um, equally here in the UK, but also North America and South America. I think what was interesting for ourselves was we were very aware of COVID ahead of the UK situation because we have teams in China. So we've been closely monitoring it. We'd put an internal COVID team together of the senior management to start putting plans in place well ahead. This was during February. And we moved incredibly fast. All the UK officers, um, I think within 10 days, were all on home working. So that's just over a few hundred people there. All of our teams globally um, were all on home working. I think within the first week of lockdown that we, and that was our lockdown, not the government lockdown. We started lockdown, I think the end of the first week in March. You know, um, I'm on week 10 homeworking now, so it gives you a good idea. I think one of the wonderful things of the, about the people that I have the pleasure of working with is they are, it's quite a young industry in terms of age, very technical savvy, you know, with technology, very adaptable, very versatile. And we moved very, very, very fast. From our point of view, absolutely nothing is more important than the safety of our teams. I think that I think that's really that is really important. It's it's interesting that you say, you know, you, you started it far earlier than, you know, most people as a result of the sort of the global nature of the business. I guess also your business it, it must have been challenging with certain things, whether it's the the developers designing and building the games or the teams behind the scenes who are getting everything ready to launch titles and things. And I know you, you, you have launched a title during, yeah. during a pandemic. What was that experience like? Interesting. Very interesting. Um, you know, we launched Moving Out, which is a local co-op game. So basically, you know, think about the games testing. If you've got people on remote working, how do you test a local co-op game? And the good news is because we were working ahead of what was happening anyway, um, we'd already cleared submissions and had that game ready for release. We'd been working incredibly hard with all of the platform holders during February regarding ensuring development kits um, for current gen, next gen. Um, test stations could be taken into home and they were done safety. Protecting all of our data is a key part of that. Uh, our IT team, along with the COVID response team that we built internally, seriously, 
incredible. They deserve all the credit for this. They, they did everything so fast, but yeah, absolute challenges. And also just remember, you know, a lot of people talk about people are in lockdown, they're playing more video games, they're watching more TV than ever before. There is a, besides the digital side of the games industry, there's a physical side, which is retail stores, hardware, consoles. You know, you can get your hands on a switch for love, no money for a while, actually getting physical goods out into the channel. So one of the key challenges that we had on moving out was actually getting those physical goods um, the box version of the game out into the territories around the world um, and again because we moved very fast and we went ahead of our normal schedules we managed to get that stock out early and so we did get stock into the right channels where we needed to do that but I think one of the beauties of Team 17 I'm a big fan of keeping things simple making sure that everybody understands that don't put process in for process sake not only will it drive other people insane it drives me insane too and we really kept things very simple communicated incredibly well with all of our teams and our partners and like I said when we're talking with the likes of Sony Microsoft Nintendo to ensure that we can move the technology side really easily so I would say we've adapted incredibly well of course challenges video production you know we make trailers so the video team are all working from home they're, they're doing incredible things my fingers are crossed right now because actually it's had little impact in terms of the way that we work as a unit um, and I think a lot of that is remember everything that we do is via technology on a day-to-day -day basis video calls are new for a lot of people actually this is how we communicate with our partners and have done for the last five decades you know um, all those partners around the world so video conference calls are just normal for us this is normal life we have the infrastructures in place to adapt um, for home working for everybody and games programmers can program just fine from home so no problems for us really I guess one of the things that a lot of people are trying to figure out is whether any of these changes that have been impacted as a result of, of a dreadful situation are going to stay within businesses. So do you see any, any things that are going to be long lasting changes within, within Team 17? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, we're all, what you've got to remember in the UK in particular, uh, we have a skill shortage. It's not just in gaming. Um, it's in many different industries for engineers in particular. There is a skill shortage there. Recruitment of those kind of people. We bring people in from all over the world in that space. Um, actually, we know we can do this in home working situations really well now. Um, so we will see some benefits coming out of this in terms of we don't necessarily have to bring people over to the UK to work for us. They can work from multiple locations around the world. I think our own people, you know, some people really need an office environment. Some people don't. We've seen a phenomenal work rate from a lot of our people. So I think a huge amount of trust and faith now in terms of people wanting to work from home a few days a week. Yeah, that's not a problem now. Whereas we might have thought more about that beforehand. And so I think there'll be a lot. I think coming out of this, we will certainly have life work balance a lot better to suit people's lives and make life much easier for our people. I think that, that's that's the really interesting one, and you know, see, I've seen it with people on social media that you know, particularly Team Seventeen staff who engage with each other, and clearly there's a clear sense of that family and community, and that's actually quite, oh, yeah. that's amazing to see, you know, from a, a business that is is doing such great things that actually that that ethos and that 
familial almost bond there. Yeah, I mean, I say it all the time, but it's hard until you're really within the group to understand. We're, we are work colleagues, we're friends, but we're a family. We look out for each other. You know, my team are constantly checking in if I'm okay, and they don't need to do that, right? I'm the boss, you don't need to do those things. But even over weekends, if I'm a bit quiet, I will get emails or just WhatsApp messages saying, hey, how you doing from various team members. Um, but we've done some incredible things. You know, we have gaming quiz nights, you know, Animal Crossing groups on Discord. Saturday, 12 o'clock is cinema time where actually we all share a movie and watch a movie together via, you know, Netflix with the sharing part. You know, the quizzes that they've been doing are just hilarious. But even coffee breaks, we do coffee breaks. All the heads of departments are doing so much work um, in terms of ensuring that people are okay, you know, and we have a fabulous HR head, you know, she's wonderful, Lauren. Um, and she's been very, very, very proactive in terms of ensuring well-being is at the forefront of everything that we do on this journey. Because I think it's really important for people to understand a lot of people who work in the games industry are quite introverts anyway in life. They get their fix in that office situation from a social point of view. And what you are seeing certainly from a lot of our people is actually we've just taken it virtual. You know, I was laughing last night at a few of our team who were at, they were doing TikTok dances, right? And they've got share screens over Skype. And it was so funny. And just the interaction that we're doing, it's bringing that side of it all to life. But yeah, you know, it's a, I take it for granted because it, a lot of this is our life before COVID, but we're just taking it more out into the open world. You know, we've been doing a lot of things for people in terms of even silly things. Everybody had a takeaway on Team 17 at the weekend, you know, in the group. And I think birthday, we do virtual birthday calls. I think Mark, who's our CFO, it was his birthday yesterday and his finance HR team had decorated their living rooms up with happy birthday and things on their virtual call. So, we're bringing our sense of humor into everyday life i think i've even seen a few who have been dressed up in gaming characters on video calls so it's been great <laughs> oh, you see I, I contemplated it but i thought it might be a step too far i also don't have a worms costume which felt like it would have been the most, <laughs> most optimum one to do uh, i've got one in the office in wakefield <laughs> uh, right. when, when this is all over i'm coming just for a photo obviously you know team 17's success you've been you've been in the journey from the very beginning you, you told me before we started sort of recording that, you know, this is year 35. It's, it's a long time in any business, but it particularly feels like a particularly long time in gaming. What are the changes that you've seen over that, over that period? Uh, I think fundamental, you know, when, <laughs> what's really interesting is obviously I started very, straight from school. You know, it's everybody knows I'm the person that quit their A-levels to join the games industry. And I'd made up my mind at the age of 12 what I wanted to do in life. And that was, I, what, however I could do it, I wanted to be in the games industry. You know, when I say to people, remember there was no internet when this started, when I started my journey. So the internet did not exist. The digital distribution wasn't a thing. Games, game engines, middleware like Unreal and Unity weren't a thing. So actually making games was harder back in those early days. Getting your products out into the channel was incredibly difficult. I laugh and joke about Alien Breed, um, one of the games that we made in the early 90s. And people say to me, how well did that game sound? I, go, Look, I can tell you because not only did we make the game and QA the game, we actually had to physically then go and pack the games in the warehouse and ship them out to distribution partners all over the world. It took over half a million units, that title at that time in the 90s. And it was like, we never really got to enjoy our game success until the, we were, we'd done the warehouse part, which 
which is crazy when you consider that. Developers don't do that today. So I would say it was, in some ways, it was a lot, lot harder at the start. I think the technology movements, you know, from 16-bit home computers, obviously the Amiga was the love of our lives, which is why we focused on the Amiga. But then in the mid-90s, seeing console dominate, and then as we moved into early 2000, with the technology side, with HD graphics becoming a thing. And I think really what I've loved the most about the industry is probably in the last decade, we've seen the introduction of middleware like Unreal and Unity. And people ask me how important they are really really games like overcooked would never have happened without middleware that was a two-person team made that game in their living room without unity it, that wouldn't have been possible because you would have had to build a game engine before you built the game so that's the importance of why we have seen so much creativity from the gaming industry over the last decade or so so big thumbs up to the middleware Digital distribution has changed everybody's lives in the same way it has done for music and film to a degree. What it's done, it's given people like Team 17 the chance to grow at the speed that we have, become, you know, that global games label, bring games to market without having to need an infrastructure of offices all around the world to deliver at that level. And our business, over 90% is digital today. So that's a really, really crucial area. And I think really exciting for people to look forward to next gen consoles come this year. That's really exciting. I, I think that's it, isn't it? It, it feels like the, the whole industry has never stopped evolving. And I've been playing games since I was a kid and still to this day get excited the moment something new comes out, whether it's the art styles changing or, or the whole type of gaming experience. It does feel that um, one of the things that will go down in memory during this crisis is how games have helped keep people together. You yeah. know, it's been an interesting one. I was talking to someone relatively recently about how if you look at, could there have been a better time for a pandemic to happen in so far as what is available to people to be able to stay at working, stay communicating yeah. and stay engaged. Probably not. Ten years yeah. ago, this this would have been, been a completely different form of change. Absolutely. I think the internet is, you know, it's life changing. It's an essential need for me. It's like gas, electricity, water. And hopefully the government starts to see the importance now. This should be in the UK. I still don't think we have um, a minimum level guaranteed internet access for every person. That absolutely is crucial. This, this pandemic shows exactly why that's needed. You know, I genuinely do worry for people that don't have <clears throat> access to internet, people who are restricted. I can't even, I, I would not have coped in this situation without the internet our business would have massively struggled without the internet it's a key vital point and so hopefully i think coming out of this what's really important is that we start to look at what are our new real essential requirements for people out there now i think, that, I think that's true isn't it you almost at points of taking it for granted that it's there but you hear even stories it feels relatively recently of you know when government moves things onto online platforms and actually people have no way of accessing that to, yep. to either engage with the government or, or whatever it is that those are real challenges. Take it, taking it back again to a bit of history. Obviously, we're hitting the two-year mark soon for the IPO. Yes. Um, obviously, but, since then, when is it? Is it May twenty-second or May twenty-fourth? You see, this tells I, you how much I take notice, right? Really, yeah, I put it down as the twenty-third. But okay, you know, brilliant. Well, I'll go with your date. <laughs> that That's tells okay. you everything about me. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, since then, you, it seems like Team 17 has just continued this sort of, not meteoric's the wrong word, but this, this fantastic level up to keep a gaming analogy going. So what, what is the future for you now, I guess? What, what are you hoping for over the next perhaps two years looking ahead? I think everything that we are is we take, we t you know, the IPA was a real big thing for Team 17. We've, it's not just about 
money and things like that. This is about our journey and what we're trying to build ourselves as a group of people, you know, that are very passionate about building something here in the UK in particular. Every person who is in Team 17 as a shareholder, as an example, over 50% of that stat, those people buy shares every single month, part of a scheme that we've built because we want them part of our journey. And that's one of the core reasons of why we did an IPO in the first place. But as we've always said, you know, we're going to continue to do exactly what we said when we went to market and that is doing exactly what we have been doing just more of it as we continue to grow our workforce has trebled in I think three and a half years so it tells you what we're doing there and we are ambitious we have a desire and plans to build the kind of business that we believe the games industry needs but also something that the UK can stand quite proud behind as well you know I sit on creative industries council so I'm very aware of the just the wider picture of the creative industries in the UK but we're just going to continue to do a lot more of what we're doing as we continue to grow that's a nice story to have isn't it but you know it's working keep going and, and keep the passion i think i read an interview with you fairly re- uh, well from a couple of years ago talking about the importance of creativity within the industry and how yeah. as an organization team 17 always helps you, you talked about it with overcooked helps those two people in their living room who built a game to then get it out to a global marketplace and benefit from the app from the from its IP. How do you go about finding those sorts of creative ideas? Are you in the position now where people come to you or do you still have to do a oh my goodness. searching? Yeah, I mean, Team 17 is a phenomenal role model for any games developer, right? We've achieved what most of them aspire to become, which is we've retained independence. Uh, you know, we're 30 years old as a business this year. So when you've retained that creative freedom and independence, that's a key thing for games developers, but also very sustainable business and growth. So that's quite important. Think of it like the music industry. We're looking for talent, games, creativity, new ideas all over the world. We shared, I think, in 2017 that over 700 games were sent in for us to look at publishing. We shared that publicly. It's significantly higher than that today. We have a global brand. We've had a huge amount of success. You know, people who aspire to become successful, they want to work with successful people. I know when I look at who I want to work with, I look at people who have been there, done it, proven themselves. People who are looking at Team 17 are going, these guys are really genre agnostic. They work in so many different genres, family games. Games like Hell Let Loose, 18 plus rated, Blasphemous, which was an 18 rated game, whether it's Worms, Overcooked, The Escapist, Yoku's Island Express, Ukulele. There's such a vast variety. We're incredibly selective, is the reality. We are all gamers. This is our life. It's not just a job for us. So we, we are constantly looking everywhere around the world for content. And we are inundated in terms of the amount of games that are being submitted. But we are super, super selective. Uh, in terms of what games that we choose and often that comes down to you know the very commercial reality of is this game going to be a commercial success is it going to give the kind of returns that we expect does it have the potential to become a long-term franchise so we're investing we know we don't only just invest our money and our time but we're investing our passion our hearts and our souls into every game that we work on whether it's a team 17 game or one of our partners games and you know that's huge emotional investment in games and so it's about how can we help develop them into game franchises we've you know everybody talks about the phenomenal work that we did with worms obviously that celebrates its 25th anniversary this year it makes all of us feel really old but very very few gaming franchises survive that time frame we've proven that we can do this very well escape is very similar you're seeing the likes of overcooked developing really nicely as a franchise 
people are talking about the potentials for games like Blasphemous and Hell Let Loose and other games. So that's a core passion of ours. So there's a lot of things that go into it. I have an incredibly experienced team. It's frightening when I say to people, my senior management team, I, I personally only have three direct reports on a daily basis, but the senior management team underneath that level, there's over 250 years of video games experience in that line alone. That's phenomenal experience. We are very, very commercialized in terms of games. You know, when you say, to, when people say, how do you know it's going to do okay? I'm doing 35 years and you're reminding me I'm getting older now, right? Um, a lot of people are, you know, Chris who heads up my studio teams, he's well in excess of 20 years in the industry. Max who heads up the publishing team, he's at 30 years in the industry, you know, and a lot of Troy who heads up our green light group, you know, Troy only joined me a few years ago, but to give you an idea, Troy, he's got to be approaching 29, 30 years in the games industry. He was actually the senior producer on Tomb Raider 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. We have a phenomenal amount of expertise in terms of this. I'd love to say you can enter it into a formula and it spits out the kind of results that you really want. There's a lot more that goes into it than that. So we are looking all everywhere and trying to spot those hidden gems. One of the things for me is that the UK feels like we've always had some great game studios. We've always been producing some great games, but it feels at the minute now that we're, we're having a bit of a renaissance again yeah. you know whether as you say it's with you guys publishing and developing then you've got the likes of sumo who yeah. obviously in sheffield the guys at xr games in in leeds who are doing some interesting stuff with virtual reality how collaborative is the ecosystem within the uk do you think we're really close i mean carl at sumo is a good friend of mine right um carl and i grew up in the same town together down in the midlands as kids ironically we didn't know each other i think for about 25 years but we lived about a mile and a half away from each other. So it's quite a small world. It's a little bit like Gordon Hall, who was at Rockstar in Leeds, right? If you remember, yeah. he grew up in the same town as me. You know, it's a, the, that town must have had a quiet time when we were growing up as teenagers. That's all I can say. It's an incredibly close industry. The games industry always has been. We're all very supportive of each other. Even the list of companies, you know, David at Frontier, Frank at Codemasters, Andrew Day at Keywords, you know, and like I said, Carl too. We're all quite close to each other. We talk to each other and we are genuinely wanting all of us to be successful and I think that's what a lot of people might struggle to understand and I think that's where the games industry is a different kind of industry you know there's a lot of empathy with what we're all doing I think what you've really seen you know when people are talking about now why now I talked about the middleware situation. I talked about digital distribution. It gave control back into the hands of the creators with those things happening. You know, we no longer needed to work with those big AAA publishers to get our games to market. Frightening world back in those days where, you know, you make your game and if you were, depending on who you were, get anywhere from 10% up to 30% in royalties. Games creator, because you're giving a huge amount to retail and they're funding the projects. This it empowered us to do things in a very different way but one of the key things for me you know when I did our management buyout back in trying to remember now um, 2011 I think it was you know I was the person who was the quiet one of the three founders I was in the background I focused just on generating revenue and always say I was too quiet it took me time to grow up personally what really spurred me on was when I saw the state of what was happening to the UK games industry a lot of my friends studios had been sold some of them had been sold and closed down by those people who bought them within a very very short time it's heartbreaking, right? I was that teenager growing up looking at companies like Rare down in the Midlands and I wanted to work for them, you know, and I was like, 
where are our kids today growing up? Who are they going to want to work for? What's going to give them that feeling that I had? And it was, that was the point where we kind of need to do something about this. We need to really stand up and think about what we're doing for the UK economy. How do we educate people to retain IP and not just sell their IP to overseas companies? I'm quite passionate about that side. You know, Tomb Raider is owned by Square Enix these days in Japan. Grand Theft Auto, which was made up in Scotland, is now owned, you know, by a company over in North America. And we've lost some of our best UK IP where it's been sold and we've seen studios being sold. So part of that was what was driving me about we need to show and become that role model that you can build a business, you can do this, even to the point of listing a company and showing that you can deliver to a different type of audience. You know, the guys in the city are really cool. You know, I get on fine. They're all nice to me. We hit our numbers, so I'm in the happy space, I guess. But it was quite intimidating. So people have fears over that side. They don't understand that actually it's not this horrible world. You can look at that world and consider that as part of your journey. You don't have to just go and sell your business to an overseas company if you want to create IP. And we have a responsibility to give back to our country as well. So it's part of that. I'm going to now go a little bit mundane with you on the life and lockdown. So other than work, what or perhaps the office camaraderie, which you seem to have managed to keep going, what have you missed the most? Uh, I do you know what I've missed my I've missed physically seeing my team face to face you know um, I just want to hug a few of them it's that I think we're all I think all of us and we're going to miss this for a long time right because we know social distancing is going to be a big part of our lives whatever the outcome is in the immediate term you know it's just that human hug I want to hug my family I want to hug my daughter I want to hug my team members too I'm missing that um So I would say that's been one of the difficult things, you know, one of the things I always worry about is the ad hoc collaborative conversations, you know, when you're making a game and certainly in game design as an example, when you're in a team environment, you can be having an idea and you're not sure about it and you just look up and you shout to somebody and go, what's your thoughts on this? And that side, we're having open video sessions to try and keep that stuff working. But that's the side and I, I, that worries me a little bit, but I don't think it's not a major worry because I think we work in, but I think for other people who aren't used to working that way, it could be an issue. We've been doing this for a few years with our partners as an example. We do that collaborative um, game design over video. Others might never have done that before. And so it's getting used to not having not having the sporadic ad hoc conversations, you know. Um, but we've made such a conscious effort to make all of ourselves more open to every person in the company. I, you know, usually on a Friday, personally, I try and make as much time as I can just to sporadically call various individuals and it doesn't matter what level they are in the business. And that's just so I'm putting myself out there more to have that, how you doing? I have a cup of break with somebody every Friday. So I think it's the human side I'm missing. Yeah. Um, that's definitely. That is the, I think, and I do think this could be an interesting time for businesses to end up, you've touched it, you, you are already quite, you're very people centric and that's, that's, that's brilliant. But there's plenty of other businesses that I think haven't necessarily had that human element. And I think this could be an interesting time for, yes. it, to, for it to have a lasting effect and, and hopefully a positive impact on many people's lives. Two, two final things probably for me is what advice would you give to business owners about dealing with life in lockdown, but also, you know, looking for success? Obviously, you've been on that journey and that roller coaster as you've described it, 30 plus years. What, you know, to people starting out today or people who are maybe earlier on in that journey, what would you give there? What tips would you give them? Okay, firstly, in terms of advice in lockdown for companies for individuals um 
seriously, nothing's more important than your personal well-being. That's number one, has to be number one. So really make sure that your team and your people are being looked after properly. Ironically, you might be faced with different challenges. You know, in our in our business, you know, most of our team, when they finish work, they go home and play video games. So we've had to really drill into people to make sure that they do learn to switch off. That's the key challenge for us. And I'm notorious for it. You know, I'm, I happily do share. I work quite late and I start quite early but my team are the same it's our passions um, so we've been quite conscious to try and make sure that they are doing the right things in terms of life balance like making sure where possible they're you know they've got a separate room to work in so that they can close the door and go out to their families if they've got families we've equally got a lot of people who are young who are in flats or in houses alone so we've been very conscious of that side so people absolutely number one. Um, the other tip I would give in this kind of situation is really being really flexible, really adaptable, um, very agile in your decision making. You know, don't put process in for process sake. Keep it as simple as possible. Make it easy for your team to follow your instructions and help them. So that's what I would do for tips on that side. Regarding businesses looking for success honestly yeah i'd love to tell you there is some magic ball that you can pull out and it just gives you this it isn't it really is a combination of a few factors hard work really good focus got a great idea you will be successful i didn't get a classy segue for this one but i felt i couldn't end the podcast without sharing the story of worms which was actually the perfect example of what debbie was talking about in our last comment we launched Worms in 1995. That was a critical time in the gaming industry as consoles were becoming a thing and everybody was talking about 3D technology. That was the point where 3D started to come about and we rocked up there with this 2D sprite-driven game and the world looked as, as though we were completely insane. But you know what? I always remember that first year, twice as much media coverage than Tomb Raider and FIFA, you know, and gameplay won over technology and it won over everything. That was Locked In With, a feature from thebusinessdesk.com. For all your business news, features and events, make sure to visit thebusinessdesk.com.